right, all right, all right. I'm Joe Turner, and this is the City Manager Unfiltered Podcast, a podcast for city managers and other public sector executives. And man, you know, this journey started back, uh, this podcast journey started back on June 14th, 2023. That's when I launched my first episode. And man, has it been a ride? Has it been a journey? And in that very first episode, I laid out three primary goals I had for this podcast, my LinkedIn content, and for the projects that I'm working on in this space. Uh, My first goal was to build or create community for city managers. I wanted to bring us together, have more fulfilling, uh, robust, comprehensive discussions. I want to help us build stronger relationships with each other, uh, help us create literal, literal friendships and not just professional networking and so forth. I've been very blessed to have met so many uh, great people in this profession by way of doing my LinkedIn posting and the podcast. And so I want to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, The second goal I I put out there is personal and professional development. You know, uh, I want to talk about issues that make us a better city manager, a better public sector executive, things that we can do to be more successful in our, our chosen profession. I also want to talk about the personal development advancement when it comes to things like personal finance and, and mindset and, and attitude and, and earning money on side hustles and making ourselves more secure financially for our families. And then third and finally, I've talked about advocacy on behalf of city managers, right? This idea that when city managers get fired or separate from their organizations, there's really no one out there advocating on their behalf. There's no one out there defending them. There's no one helping create a, a clean positive Google footprint, right? Because if city managers go out there and they fight back, oftentimes it can be perceived negatively by a future city that might be looking to hire them. And so a lot of city managers for a variety of reasons uh, simply uh, muzzle themselves and don't have anybody out there making any arguments or any defense of their record and so forth and so on. And so I want to talk about that issue in this podcast as we move forward. You know, this podcast journey has been a trip. Uh, This LinkedIn journey has been amazing so many unexpected, crazy, awesome things have happened and just some other other surprises have happened as well. In this episode, we're going to talk about three different topics. One is I have a disgruntled ICMA spouse who's reached out to me. Uh, This person has been reading my content, listening to my podcasts, listening to my rants about the ICMA and how they're spending money, uh, how they're treating city managers like James Freed. Uh, their international junkets, the pay for staff, so forth and so on. And it caught their attention and uh, they sent me an email. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in this podcast. The second issue I want to talk about are stupid salary ranges. You know, I had someone, I had a city manager send me an email for a job listing for a city manager. And the salary expectation is ridiculous. And this salary, in my opinion, is the reason why they are extending the application period for city managers. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. And then I want to get into a year in review where we discuss the stats on the LinkedIn page, the stats on my podcast, compare these numbers to ICMA, ELGL. Uh, I want to kind of lay out what I've done over the last year with your support. Pretty excited. I'm pretty proud of it. And I want to share those numbers with you all. Before we get into those three primary topics, what I'm going to do now is uh, take care of a couple of housekeeping items. In the last episode, I discussed how a city manager had contacted me recently and encouraged me to set up a donation button or a way for individuals who listen to the podcast to donate money to support the podcast. And I was taking that under advisement. I created a buy me a coffee account. So now if you go to buymeacoffee.com slash city manager unfiltered, you can make a donation to the podcast, if you like what I'm doing, if you want to support what I'm doing, you have the ability to make a one-time donation. You also have the ability to make a monthly reoccurring uh, donation if you're if you're enjoying this content. Again, to donate or contribute to the cause, you could go to buymeacoffee.com slash citymanagerunfiltered. That's buymeacoffee.com slash citymanagerunfiltered. I will also have a link to the donation button in the show notes. And uh, I appreciate your support in advance. So thank you very much. We'll see. Maybe uh, only one person will donate. I I don't know. But I'm looking forward to seeing how that shapes up because obviously I've been putting a lot of time into this, guys. It takes many, many hours each week just to do the podcast, let alone the LinkedIn content. And uh, I've been losing money on it. (laughs) So uh, we'll see how that goes. 
The second item I want to discuss with you guys is a text exchange that I had with a city manager about a council member elect that they have. So this city manager reached out to me out of the blue and texted me and said, hey, I wanted to bring it to your attention that a council member elect has uh, found your podcast and their mind was blown, right? So let me let me read this text exchange. This manager writes, I have a council member elect who found the podcast and is listening to it in order to better understand the issues that city managers face, dot, 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 mind blown, exclamation. How awesome is that? This person wrote, the council member elect just got elected in November and last week out of the blue, they texted him and said they had found the podcast and were starting to listen to it. And uh, this person is so encouraged by that. Um, I asked uh, the city manager if he had tipped off the governing body members about the podcast. And he wrote, he had not suggested it. Uh, although I have another council member and someone else who was very aware of the podcast and listened to it a little bit. So I guess it's possible that maybe they tipped off the council member elect. Uh, but he was um, incredibly stoked to get feedback from a council member elect that they were doing their own independent research about the city manager profession. And somehow, some way they'd come across the city manager unfiltered podcast. So uh, hopefully with your guys' help and support, the city manager unfiltered podcast is bringing city managers and elected officials together in unity and harmony. And I, I'm hoping for nothing but good things for that new council member who will probably be seated sometime this month if they haven't already. So uh, that's pretty awesome. I'm pretty proud of that. Who would ever thought I would get a text message like that? And you know, it's interesting because on LinkedIn, I can view my followers, right? Who decides to follow me. And I have noticed an uptick actually in the number of governing body elected officials who are following me on uh, LinkedIn. So that's been a pleasant surprise. And hopefully that leads to uh, beneficial results for those city and county managers who have these excellent elected officials who know how to spot talent and good content on the internet. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the next one. I'm going to talk about the Nick Kittle podcast because that that Nick Kittle podcast, Live Like You're Dying, I believe it's episode 31, has really made an impact on people. My buddy Graham Mitchell, city manager for the city of El Cajon, California, he came across the Nick Kittle post on my LinkedIn page and he listened to the podcast and he wrote in the comment, another invigorating discussion. Keep up the great job, Joe. After the first two minutes of the podcast, I thought, quote, I have to have my executive team listen to this, end quote. And this is before I got to the Nick Kittle death experience. Thanks, Nick, for sharing your perspectives, passions, and proficiencies. I reached out to Graham. I gave him a call. He was blown away by the podcast. He says he's going to have his executive team uh, uh, listen to the podcast. They're going to work on it. Uh, also, I'd reached out to Nick Kittle, and they'd already had some uh, conversations and some exchanges. I'm not sure if that's going to lead to anything or not, but I absolutely love the fact that I'm bringing together people uh, like Graham and Nick. I've, I've received countless reports of individuals who have uh, made contact with the guests who have been on the show, and it's led to uh, building some you know, closer relationships and friendships and so forth and so on. And it just uh, that warms the cockles of my heart. I mean, I'm just really proud of all that because we talk about building community. And the way you build community is through connecting people. Uh, and so I'm very, very proud of that. And I'm eager to take this to another level uh, at a later date. I'm going to have a, a, another announcement in the, in the near future about building community uh, amongst us as professional city managers and public sector executives. Uh, one more final thing before we get to the rest of the show, and that's going to be a discussion about Luke Coletti. Luke Coletti is this council member for Pacific Grove, California, Man, there was, a, there was an editorial that was put out by a local weekly paper up there, Monterey County Weekly, uh, up in the peninsula of, of a North Central California, and basically called this councilman a wrecking ball. It reiterated how he was a bully and a harasser, how multiple employees had filed uh, complaints against him, how multiple employees had quit. And it talked about how city manager Ben Harvey basically left on a severance agreement that was equivalent to two years of salary. And just basically just exposes Luke Coletti for the bully that he is, right? And so I did a story on it on LinkedIn. I posted about it, tagged Luke. Uh, he got into the mix. He tried to say he tried to basically say that Harvey or insinuate that Harvey was fired on a unanimous vote, and that the only reason why he received the four hundred and fifty some thousand dollar payout that he did was it was a payout for the final two years remaining on Harvey's contract. But the reality is, is that's complete and utter bullshit. Uh, in California, there is a limit on the amount of money you can uh, give to a city manager on a severance clause. It's 18 months. 
in this particular instance, Ben Harvey only had a 12 month severance clause. And when you give two years worth of salary, clearly that is more than 12 months. It's an indicator that the city had liability exposure and they wanted to mitigate that by entering to a separation agreement with the city manager. Um, the city manager, uh, if you look at a severance agreement, there's also uh, wording in there that clearly notes that this was not a two year payout on the remaining contract. The separation agreement breaks Harvey's uh, payments into three separate installments and the third installment is taxed differently and it explicitly states in the severance agreements that the reason for this payment is quote, a release of claims associated with alleged damages received for non-physical injury, such as emotional distress and defamation, end quote. So the idea that this uh, payment of two years worth of salary was just paying out his contract and they decided to go their own separate ways. And oh, by the way, it was basically unanimous in the council support to get rid of them. Uh, that's all, that's all bullshit. Coletti's blown smoke up the asses of the people who read that paper, his constituents. And it's not fair. And I've talked about this before in previous podcasts about how city managers need an advocate because when they go looking for a job, the employer only has a Google footprint of these articles that come out that are one-sided. And if Luke Coletti is allowed to respond and have his response go uh, unrebutted, then this narrative gets out there that's incorrect. So as a result of reading this article and as a result of a personal exchange I had with him on my social media page where he made these wild statements, I put out a press release on behalf of the uh, City Manager Unfiltered podcast and I set the record straight. I'm going to link to that press release in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about when I speak of advocacy on behalf of the city managers, right? Um, as of this publishing of this podcast, there's no article that's been written in response to the pot, uh, in response to the press release I've sent out. I'm hoping that I will get an article written on behalf of uh, Ben Harvey in this press release, similar how I did with Pamela Antill down in Encinitas. But if I can't, then I, I can't, right? I can't make everything, uh, I can't get everything I want. I can't force people to write an article. Uh, but this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about that is needed by an organization to go out there and stand up on behalf of city managers and public sector executives to get another narrative out there that is pro city manager and so that those city managers can have some google footprint material that allows them a shot of moving past some of the criticism that might be unfounded unfair or one-way traffic so that the new governing body that they're interviewing with can give them a, a decent shot or look or look at them in a little bit more detail and in more depth and give them greater consideration for the position, right? So they're not just being dismissed uh, out of hand without really any thought or consideration by the governing body. Um, because at the end of the day, if all the governing body can see is negative stories about a city manager candidate, what do you expect them to believe, right? So that's where we're at right now with the uh, advocacy. Again, I'm gonna link to that press release in the show notes, so please give that a uh, review. And that's what I'm talking about. There's an uh, exhibit A of what I'd like to see happen more often in this profession uh, with respect to uh, managers having professional representation or advocacy. Okay, so let's pivot now back to the three main topics of the show. And that's gonna be the year in review. We're gonna look at the stats. We're gonna talk about the uh, stupid salary ranges that we're seeing for some jobs out there. And we're gonna talk about this disgruntled ICMA spouse. So let's take a look at my LinkedIn uh, stats for 2023. And before we do that, I want to go back in time to, for a quick moment, back to uh, late August, early September of 2022. That's when I started posting on LinkedIn in earnest. Around that time, I had 100 followers. I was very infrequent with my posts, didn't really understand the platform, as I've said before. And then I started posting in earnest. And by the end of, uh, by the, end of the year, I had 1,700 followers. And then in early January, I was named to the ELGL Top 100 Local Government Influencers list uh, the same week that I posted my post about James Freed and his lawsuit with the ICMA. Now, I've never shared this publicly, well, except with a couple people uh, privately, but the ELGL decided uh, in their infinite wisdom to strip me of that recognition and they removed me uh, from their list. When I inquired about why I was being removed from the list, it was because they had received anonymous uh, reports about my political beliefs and my past activism on illegal immigration issues and these unfounded baseless allegations, anonymous complaints that I had uh, bullied individuals in the workplace, which was ludicrous. 
Um, so again, these uh, innocent until proven guilty or guilty till you prove your innocence when it comes to ELGL and ICMA uh, violations or ethics violations or complaints. Basically, anybody can put an anonymous complaint on you and you have to go through the hoops to uh, somehow defend yourself against stuff that is completely baseless and submitted without any merit or substantiation. Anyway, so the same week that I posted James Freed versus ICMA lawsuit post on uh, LinkedIn, which, which got everything started, I was the very first person to talk about James Freed publicly in any shape or form. Uh, I get stripped by the ELGL. So it was an interesting way to start the uh, the year. Uh, nevertheless, 2023 I'd go would go on to be gangbusters, and I would conclude with about 10,500 followers, a massive amount of growth. Very excited about that. Also, I had more than 6 million impressions. If you recall before, I've said I had you know nearly 6 million. I forgot to add up the uh, posts that I do on my uh, City Manager Unfiltered LinkedIn page. Uh, I have a separate page for the podcast. I do some posting activity. When you combine uh, the 5.9 million plus uh, impressions on my regular personal LinkedIn page and the impressions I had on my City Manager Unfiltered LinkedIn page, uh, I had over 6 million impressions, and then you got my podcast downloads on top of that. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But pretty amazing to have um, six over 6 million impressions on the platform. And I finished the year incredibly strong. Four out of the top six posts for the year were published in December, and I got a massive spike in impressions. Uh, the algorithm loved me. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Maybe it's because I crossed that 10,000 uh, follower mark, so I got a little bit extra juice. Uh, but my impressions blew up in uh, December, and I had massive growth to finish really strong at six million. Now let's talk about engagement. Engagement is whenever someone comments on a post, they reshare your post, or they leave a reaction on your post. I had forty-four thousand acts of engagement throughout the year on my post on LinkedIn. Uh, that's just on my personal page. I didn't check my uh, my city manager unfiltered page. And uh, to put that in perspective. The ICMA had less than 18,000 acts of engagement across all their posts for the year. So I have two and a half times the engagement of ICMA, even though they're a $30 million organization on an annual budget basis. They have over 100 years of existence and history, institutional knowledge, reputation, establishment footing with respect to the profession, uh, $600,000 a year uh, CEO. They have an entire team of employees who can help with their PR and their public relations and their uh, their media strategies and their marketing. And somehow I have two and a half times the engagement uh, of their of their LinkedIn page on my account. If you go down uh, LinkedIn and you look at the ICMA post, it's a ghost town. There's next to no engagement. You might have a few posts with some reactions, but there's no no chatter at all. It's an absolute ghost town. All you see is tumbleweeds. And how is that possible? What is going on? I don't know. My engagement, two and a half times the ICMA, and I had a fraction of a fraction of their followers. You remember, they have 55,000, 58,000 followers or something like that. And I spent most of the year, I didn't cross the 5,000 uh, follower mark until June, late June. So anyway, I had a really great year on LinkedIn, really fantastic started strong with the uh, James Freed lawsuit case, the ELGL recognition for being a top 100 local government influencer, ended strong, just great, just great all around. I'm very excited. Thank you guys very much for your support. I truly appreciate it. You guys have been amazing on that front. And you know, uh, some of the feedback I got from the LinkedIn was, for example, I know, again, I know it sounds like I'm dogging the ICMA. I can only tell you guys what people tell me, okay? I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to always be super critical of the ICMA. I'm not always trying to take a shot at the ICMA. But when people tell you that your mailbag posts on LinkedIn are more valuable to them than their membership in ICMA, what am I supposed to do with that? I had multiple people tell me that they got more value from my, just my mailbag posts on LinkedIn, right? Where I'm asking questions and there's a, a vigorous debate or discussion about these issues. Just those questions on LinkedIn were more valuable to ICMA members than their entire ICMA membership. I can't explain that. I'm just telling you what I'm getting. I, I, I'm very proud of that recognition. I'm very proud to get that sort of feedback. But I think that's really troubling if you're the ICMA. How is it that uh, Joe Turner's LinkedIn page is creating more value than your entire ICMA membership? And again, not just one person told me that. One of the things I really enjoyed the most about LinkedIn this year 
was the ability to connect with people. I, I've, I've started so many new friendships and relationships, uh, cultivated potential business opportunities. I've had numerous people reach out to me and offer me jobs. It's just, it's just great. I mean, I, LinkedIn, if done correctly and you're engaged and you have a desire to create honest, sincere connections with people and you want to give and give instead of just take and take, Man, it is an incredible platform. Um, members of our profession are yearning for more connection. And I would strongly urge any of you listening to this to get more active on LinkedIn to help build your profile, not because you want to have a brand or anything ego-centric uh, like that, but so that you can actually have new relationships with people that you would normally never come across or have a relationship with. I mean, I got relationships now with managers all across the country and that started before I even did the podcast. The podcast has just put it on overdrive. And I'd be remiss if I didn't you know, acknowledge all the dozens and dozens of individuals who have sent me kind notes of praise, compliments, appreciation, gratitude for the things that I've done on LinkedIn. Like you guys really pay my soul to go back to the Nick Kittle episode, Living like, Live Like You Are Dying, episode 31. He talks about, you know, what pays my soul? That's the question he asked himself after he had this near-death experience. And uh, I've been asking myself that a lot. And, you know, you guys pay my soul. You guys have been paying my soul with absolutely wonderful compliments and praise. And thank you so much. I'm honored and proud to uh, be a voice out there standing up for James Freed and his lawsuit against the ICMA, his public censure, which I think is a total sham. I think it's a political hit job. I got Daniel Rosemond, who was wrongfully terminated in Hallandale Beach. We've become good friends. We've spent hours on the phone and talking and interviews and uh, just to have him say, you know, Joe, I really appreciate you going to bat. My family and I, we just so appreciate you standing up for, for me and my family. Man, it just means the world to me. And so thank you all. Uh, LinkedIn's been an amazing, an amazing deal. I have a post I'm going to link to on my LinkedIn page where I, I count down all the top six posts by impressions and the top six posts by, uh, and the top six posts by engagement. I'll link to that so you can take a look at what the top six were. I'm not going to count them down here. Uh, let's move over to uh, the podcast stats now for the year because, man, you, I was floored by LinkedIn, but the podcast experience has just been absolutely overwhelming, and it's gone to places I never thought possible. I, I'm just, I'm just blown away by it. So let's let's take a look at these stats. When I launched my podcast, City Manager Unfiltered, on June 14, twenty twenty three. I was, I was scared, honestly, guys. I had no idea what to expect. I was afraid I was going to fall on my face. I was afraid I wasn't going to get any downloads. I, I, I was nervous. I had some anxiety because I did not want to fail. I was just concerned. I, was, you know, I wasn't sure if you guys would really want to listen to a podcast about city management stuff. So I put my first episode out June 14, 2023. By the end of the year, I had 31 episodes published, and I had 50,000 downloads for the year. On December 30th, I crossed over the 50,000 download mark, finished just above 50,000 downloads for the year, and I was blown away by it. I mean, I was just absolutely floored that I had 50,000 downloads. Uh, to give you an idea, to put this in perspective, I want to draw your attention to some stats put out by Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is a platform that hosts podcasts, and they have thousands and thousands of podcasts, hundreds of thousands of episodes they release on a, on a monthly basis from their catalog podcasts on their network. And they put out stats each month on their platform. And so if you use their platform as a sample set, as a representative sample of what podcasts throughout the world are doing, then this will give you some context as far as my podcast performance, okay? Because Buzzsprout has podcasts all over the world. Again, thousands and thousands of them. And what their stats show is as follows. In order to be in the top 50% of all podcast episodes for that month, you have to have more than 32 downloads. You have to have 32 or more downloads in order to be considered a top 50% podcast episode. In order to be in the top 25%, you need 121 uh, downloads. And in order to be in the top 10%, you need to have 478 downloads. Now, when I say you need to have these number of downloads, you need to have this number of downloads in seven the, the first seven days of the, of the episode being released, right? So in the first week of releasing your podcast, those are the numbers you need to have. Every single episode I've released since the very beginning 
has had more than 478 downloads in its first week of existence or first week of publishing. Okay. I've, I've, I've crushed that number. My average episode view is over 1600 views, right? Thir you know, 50,000 divided by 31 or whatnot. So every single one of my episodes have been in the top 10%. And if every single one of my episodes have been in the top 10%, then that means obviously that my podcast as a whole is well into the top 10% of all the podcasts in the entire world. I mean, think about that, right? Because the podcasts that are going to dominate the top 10%, uh, if you have a large podcast, you're going to dominate those numbers. Whereas oh, a podcast here and there might sneak an episode into the top 10. Uh, but if you are consistently with all your episodes in the top 10%, you're going to be way in the top 10% as far as total performance by a podcast, not just its episodes. So that's pretty amazing. In order to be in the top 5%, you need to have 1,123 downloads of an episode in the first seven days. I've only had a couple episodes do that, but I'm pretty stoked on those numbers. Now, let's compare the City Manager Unfiltered podcast to the ICMA podcast. The ICMA podcast, Voices in Local Government, which I think has been discontinued. They've only published two episodes in the last six months, and the last episode published was back in, in uh, September. They started in November of 2021, and they have 40 episodes, whereas I started about six months ago, and I have 32 episodes, right? I haven't missed a week. I've been dedicated, even though I'm not getting paid, even though I'm not a hired employee for the ICMA, I'm just doing this on my own because I have a passion for it. I've consistently put out an episode on a weekly basis. Somehow the ICMA with paid staff can't do it, but they have 40 episodes, and I have 32. In the 2022 annual report, the ICMA year runs ends, I believe, on June 30th of each year, right? So they put out a report for 2022, which means that all the podcast episodes that were released through the end of, uh, of, end of June 2022, and they only had something like 12,300 downloads for their podcast. Now, I've had 50,000 downloads. Think about that for a second. I mean, I'm just absolutely crushing it, right? Four times the amount of downloads. And we're talking again, not to belabor the point, an organization with over $30 million annual budget that's been in existence for over 100 years that has massive institutional establishment support within the profession. And I have individuals, I have city managers who say they never even heard of the ICMA podcast, even though the ICMA had a podcast and have never listened to it. And yet I'm crushing them. When you look at their Apple reviews, They've been around since November of 2021. They only have six reviews on Apple for a grade of 4.7 or a rating of 4.7. I have 157 Apple reviews with a 4.5 rating because I have some haters who gave me a one on multiple times, but whatever. So on Spotify, ICMA has three ratings with a 3.7 uh, rating, and I have a 4.8 rating out of 42 reviews. So I have... Damn near, I have 199 ratings and reviews between Apple and Spotify, and ICMA only has nine. And how's that possible? When you look at ELGL, ELGL launched their podcast eight years ago, July of 2015. So they launched it eight years before I did. I was June of 2023. They have 600 episodes. I have 30 episodes. They have 209 ratings on Apple with a 4.8, so they have a higher rating than me, 4.8 to 4.5, but they only have 50 plus more reviews or ratings on Apple than I do, and I've only been in existence for six months. I'm, I'm super proud of that number, and when you throw in the fact that they only have 10 ratings on Spotify and I have 42, I close the gap considerably, right? So they have a total of 219 Apple and Spotify ratings, and I have 199 Spot, uh, Spotify and Apple ratings combined. I think those are pretty amazing metrics. I'm really proud of that. I'm so stoked by the reviews I get and the ratings I've been getting. Thank you very much to you who support the podcast. If you have not put a rating or a review on Apple or Spotify, please do so today. I would greatly appreciate it. But let's talk about the podcast in a more meaningful sense, right? The podcast has allowed me to connect with individuals and actually create something of value, right? So I met with Micah Gaudet. As I said before in our ChatGPT episodes in April of 2023 in Kansas City, and then by September through that relationship, right, this totally organic experience, uh, I had, and I'm going to take credit, I'm going to take a little bit of credit here, right? Uh, I helped convince Micah to build a ChatGPT course and to build a brand around public sector ChatGPT. And not only did he build a course, and not only has he been selling the courses to cities all across the country, he has become one of the dominant experts in public sector chat GPT. 
And it's all through the power of LinkedIn and us networking and building these relationships. You guys, there is so much potential out there. If you're listening to this podcast today, right? And this is 2024, you're, you're just starting the year. There is so much potential for you to start and build relationships. You have no idea where it's going to go, what direction it's going to take you. But you're not going to get that benefit until you start putting one foot in front of the other and start investing time in building your platform on LinkedIn and making these relationships, commenting on posts, start reaching out to people, building these genuine connections. And man, you just don't know what's going to happen. Me and Micah, we're good friends today. Man, he's awesome. I'm so proud of him. I'm so grateful to be a part of that journey and have a, a role to play in it. And uh, man, I'm, I, I'm, I'm so excited for him in 2024. He's been invited to speak at conferences. He's doing uh, webinars. He's getting paid on side hustles for it. Uh, he's just, it's, it's incredible what he's done. And I mean, hey, we got to call it like we see it, right? It's, it's through this networking. It's through this organic relationship building that's come about because of LinkedIn and the podcast. Also, I did a really powerful interview with Stephen Wade called The Suicidal City Manager. And I had a lot of response to that. I had one county executive reach out to me and this person uh, wanted to talk to me on the phone and they broke down crying. They broke down crying because they said that the podcast had hit home and impacted them so much because they had had struggled with their own mental health issues and struggled with some suicidal thoughts because of the stresses of the job and some of the some very painful experiences they went through on a professional level. I mean, this person went through a lot professionally. I, I wish I could get this person on the podcast to talk about it, but it's it's a lot of sensitive stuff. And I'm you know I'm not talking about personal stuff. I'm talking about professional roller coaster ride of emotion and trauma. I had this county executive reach out to me wants to wants to thank me for the podcast and proceeded to emotionally dump on me. And I don't mean that in a negative way. This person was crying and just very grateful. It was one of the most meaningful and um, significant conversations I've had with a county executive. It, it really made me feel tremendous to know that I had such a positive impact on one of our peers. And so, again, the podcast is amazing. LinkedIn's amazing. Building these connections, these relationships are amazing. I just had so many people reach out. I know I'm repeating myself. It's just it's been the most awesomest thing in the world to have individuals reach out and know that you're able to help them in some way, some form or fashion. Before we uh, move on to the issue of uh, crappy salaries for city managers in Moberly, Missouri and, and other areas, uh, I want to finish up this section of the podcast with a countdown of the top 10 posts for 2023 on the City Manager Unfiltered podcast. So without any further ado, here is the 10th most popular episode. Well, speak of the devil. It is ChatGPT, Skeptic to Believer in 30 Minutes with John Wydell and Micah Gaudet. This was a very fun episode. I enjoyed this. I was laughing the entire time because John Wydell has a great sense of humor. The short version on this episode was that he listened to our previous episode between Micah and, Ga- Micah and I where we were talking about ChatGPT. And John started learning ChatGP literally during that podcast episode. He was a skeptic. He had uh, some coworkers who were skeptics, and they became believers in 30 minutes. And we talk about what he was doing with ChatGPT within weeks of learning about the software uh, for his community. Pretty amazing. Number nine, Badass Biker Chick Meets Kick-Ass Council with Sarah McGuffin. Sarah McGuffin is a fascinating story. She uh, injured herself severely in a motorcycle accident. Uh, left her uh, legally blind, and she was, you know, near death. She almost died. And we talk about her experience and the great counsel she has. She has a tremendous town council that's been very supportive in uh, helping her with her career and and working with her through her her uh, recovery efforts. And uh, just an amazing story. That's that's uh, episode nine. Badass biker chick meets kickass counsel with Sarah McGuffin. Number eight is you are not alone. And I alluded to that in the beginning of this podcast episode where I talked about how uh, we as city managers, we have a tough job. A lot of us feel alone, but we're not alone and we need to get together. We need to build a community. Number seven, Betrayal the Public Servant with Daniel Rosemond. This was part three of my interview series with Daniel Rosemond. That's where we talk about uh, the FCCMA, the Florida City County Management Association, sitting on its hands and not uh, jumping in the fight to help Daniel when the city of Hallandale Beach filed an appeal against him. The Florida League of Cities filed an amicus brief. Uh, there's a complete conflict of interest here throughout the country when it comes to these state ICMA chapters and the various municipal leagues for each state. We also talked about how the ICMA didn't even respond to a call 
or inquiry that Daniel had made asking for help with his case and uh, can we get his book listed in the ICMA library online? Um, that's just, just shameful. That's number seven, Betrayal of the Public Servant with Daniel Rosemond, episode 16. Uh, no, the sixth most popular episode was the most important objective during contract negotiations. That was episode two. I released that in the very first day of the podcast. I'm proud of that episode. And that's where I talk about all the things you need to consider when you're going through contract negotiations as a city or county manager. Number five is the suicidal city manager addresses mental health struggle with Stephen Wade. That was episode 11. I just alluded to that in the previous discussion uh, about the county executive who was uh, crying because it was such an important um, podcast for them. Number four, City of Weed, a sitcom about city manager life with Tim Rundell. That was episode number eight. Tim Rundell is hilarious. Uh, you need to check it out. Uh, city of Weed is a sitcom that they're trying to get off the ground. Uh, I need to get Tim on for an update to give us uh, the status of that sitcom and where they're at in production. But Tim's hilarious. I was laughing my ass off throughout that throughout that entire episode. The third most listened to episode was number 20, No Regrets for Forced Out First Time City Manager with Michael Rogers. So Michael Rogers was the city of Tracy, California city manager who was ousted in some unfortunate circumstances. He's probably got the sexiest voice of all city managers out there. Uh, he's a former DJ, just a great guy to talk to. I enjoyed that episode. Again, no regrets for forced out first time city manager. That was the third most listened to episode. The second most listened to episode was Death of the Public Servant with Daniel Rosemont. Uh, that was episode number 10. That was just a phenomenal episode. That was the part one of our three part series. Man, I just really enjoyed it. Daniel's very, his book's amazing. You guys got to get his book, Death of the Public Servant. I've linked to it numerous times. I'll have it in the show notes. Check that book out. Support Daniel. He's amazing. And then, drumroll please, the number one most listened to episode of the year for the City Manager Unfiltered Podcast is James Freed versus the ICMA, an orchestrated campaign to kill a city manager's career. And that's episode 17. I dropped that bad boy right before the ICMA conference. It was a talk of the town, talk of the week. And uh, that was by far and away the most popular episode of the year. And uh, guess what? I'm going to be having James Freed on this uh, podcast in the very near future uh, to get an update and also to talk about his SCOTUS case with the whole Facebook social media posting. So stay tuned for that. All right. So that is the year in review for LinkedIn and for the podcast. Thank you guys again so much. Let's move on to the second subject of this uh, podcast. And that is crappy salary ranges for city managers. So this week I got an email from a follower on LinkedIn and it was about a job recruitment for a city manager position in the Midwest. I want to give you some information about this city and then I want you to tell me what you think the starting salary minimum should be for a city manager. Okay, so we are in the Midwest. It's a rural town. It's not really close to any major city. Uh, the closest city about 40 minutes away is 125,000 people. It, this city in question has 15,000 residents, give or take. It has 129 full-time employees and it has a $50 million annual budget. Now, let me read what their ideal candidate statement is. The ideal candidate is someone who is active and engaged in the community, handles conflict well, and is able to prioritize and make difficult decisions. They should possess strong budgeting and financial management skills and be able to identify funding sources for projects and have downtown rehabilitation experience. The next city manager should have utility management and economic development experience. Collective bargaining experience is a plus as the city police and fire departments are unionized. They should also be experienced in managing competing interests and building effective working relationships with other local departments, states, and federal agencies. This position requires a master's degree in public administration, business administration, management, or a related degree, plus 10 years of increasingly responsible local government management experience in a full-service city of similar or larger size. <laughs> ICMACM and advanced leadership training credentials are desirable, and residence in the city within six months of hire is required. Now, can you guess what you think they're willing to pay someone for that? Take a second and think. What do you think the minimum starting salary is for this position? I'm gonna give you the answer in this email that was sent to me by the city manager. The city manager writes, quote, these are the kind of positions that irritate me. 
They want someone with a master's degree and 10 years of experience, and they have a residency requirement, but they're only willing to pay $110,000 to start. And I'm assuming they're having to extend the deadline because they're not getting candidates. Go figure. Yep, go figure is right. You know why? Because $110,000 for somebody with 10 years of experience who has downtown rehabilitation experience, who has economic development experience, who has union bargaining experience. What else were they asking? What else were they asking on this uh, listing here? Oh, yeah, utility management experience. I, I assume they mean like electric utility, not a typical water and sewer. And they want somebody with 10 years and who's been in a comparable size city. Why would anyone go to a city of that size for that pay? You know what $110,000 is? That's dog shit. That's dog shit compensation. It's insulting. You know, I talk about Kansas all the time, about how I think it's a great place to start your career. You know, Kansas is right next to Missouri. I want to give you some Kansas numbers off the top of my head. These are rough approximations, although they're fairly accurate because I'm pretty anal about this stuff, right? You have, uh, and I'm not trying to diss anybody when I say this stuff, okay, but I, I'm going to talk about some young managers or managers with little experience when it comes to the public sector and what they're making in Kansas in much smaller communities, okay? You got Thatcher Motti over in Harrington, Kansas. I think Can Harrington, Kansas is about 2,200 people, something like that. He had only a couple years of experience as an assistant to the city administrator in Goddard, a town of 5,000. That's basically the extent of his career, and he's making around $90,000, okay? Brogan Jones was hired in Marion, Kansas before he even got his master's completed. It was basically he had no previous real administrative experience or executive level experience in the public sector. Uh, he had a horrible situation with the police chief raiding a, uh, the newspaper. It was international headlines. He ejected out of there after about seven months, right? So he's, the first job was about seven months. That's all the experience he has as a city administrator. He goes over to Neo Deshaies, and he's going to make $90,000 in a town of like you know 2,500 people or something like that. You have uh, my buddy Brian Daly. Uh, I hired him to be my police chief in Sedgwick, which is a population of 1,700 he worked there for a couple years as a police chief. It was his first police chief gig. Prior to that, he only had law enforcement and some overseas contracting military experience. So he's there for my police chief for two years. He gets hired over in Medicine Lodge for his first ever city administrator gig. They're paying him something like $87.5 to start. He just got a, a big bonus and a, and a, and a decent-sized raise after his one-year review. And that's a town of like 1700 okay? Uh, I was working in South Hutchinson, Kansas, $7 million budget, 2,500 population. I was making 101000 And when I left, they floated the position with a max top-out range of 115 to start. They hired someone with no experience, no uh, master's degree in public administration. And that person is getting around $90,000, if I remember correctly. Although they do have some uh, municipal experience, but not at the executive level or anything like that. And that person's making around ninety. Marysville, Kansas right now is like 3,300 pop, something like that. They have a top starting range of 125. And I can go on and on down the line of various cities throughout Kansas. And these are rural communities. Uh, you, and then I'll give, this one's not rural, but I'll give you a recent example. You got Goddard, Kansas, which is a city right outside of Wichita, borders Wichita. They just hired a city manager, a city administrator with well under 10 years of experience. I think he's got like three years of uh, city administrator experience and a, a couple of years as assistant city manager, assistant to the city manager experience. And they're paying him around 130. I think he bumps up to 140 after his first six months on the job. I mean, what are we talking about here? Moberly, Missouri, a $50 million budget, a 14,000, 15,000 population community, 130 full-time employees, and they want to start out at 110 on the salary range? That's terrible. It's insulting. And, you know, I'm so sick and tired of city managers getting treated closer to a burger flipper than what the city attorneys generally make. I mean, I when I was working in uh, Sedgwick, a small town of 1,700, and I was making dog shit there to start, but I had to. I had to work my way up from the bottom. I have a city attorney who's working part-time Maybe he does 10 hours a week and that's uh, two, 10 hours a month. And that's including his two council meetings. And he's making basically half of what I'm making because he's working on a contract basis. I mean, this guy was so mediocre and he turned his stuff in late. I mean, if, if turning mediocre work product in three months late was an Olympic sport, this guy would be a gold medalist. But yet he's making about 60% of what I'm making 
and I'm there full time busting my ass 60 hours a week trying to make a difference. I mean, why are city managers so disrespected? It's like, you know, you look at these governing bodies and they say, oh, it's so easy. A caveman can do it. It's like we're interchangeable parts. You just throw any other Tom, Dick or Harry into the city administrator, city manager seat. And there's just no value add their proposition. I'm just so sick and tired of it. 110,000 in Moberly, Missouri, 14,000 people, 100 or 50, uh, 50 million dollar budget, 130 employees. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. No wonder they're having a hard time finding candidates. And then you want them to move, right? You want city managers to move into your community, right? Where they can be fired on a 3-2 vote and we're just supposed to eat the cost of our housing uh, transaction costs, right? When you sell, buy and sell house everywhere you go. Oh, but we want you to be invested in the community, right? The nickname for Moberly, Missouri is the magic city. Well, there's nothing magic about your compensation for a city manager, okay? Bump it up, bump it up. Now let's talk about the third issue on the on the agenda for today, and that is this. Uh, wow, this interesting email I got from a disgruntled spouse of an ICMA member. So back in mid December, I got an email that really caught my attention. It was something I've never received before. It reads, "Hello, my name is blank. My spouse and I have been following your posts and podcasts on LinkedIn. My spouse is a public employee, and we've been to a few ICMA conferences." You could say I have been living vicariously through my spouse with all this public sector stuff. We have become particularly interested in your recent post about ICMA staff salaries and board travel since my spouse has to pay their own way on dues and they are quite pricey. Hate to see our hard-earned money spent frivolously by ICMA. Since my spouse can't pursue follow-up on some of the ICMA stuff for fear of retaliation, I have done some Freedom of Information Act requests and thought you might be interested in the replies. Let me know if you are. You have provided an outlet for growing frustration by my spouse, my spouse's friends, and coworkers. Thank you. Signed blank. So this individual and I, we've had follow-up communication via email, and this person seems to be um, concerned about three major issues. One is a growing rift or tension in the organization, the ICMA, between some members who believe that the organization is getting way too political, veering off into diversity, equity, and inclusion, maybe that kind of stuff, and then the more liberal executive board members who apparently feel like that is not uh, an issue. This is all going on. I think these communications are going on back in 2020, 2021. I'm trying to get my hands on some documents that from this individual, Okay. But generally speaking, there's a, a risk growing in the ICMA about it becoming more political or very politicized, and there's some tension in the organization, and apparently there's some email exchanges back and forth between executive board members and some of these members or something, and I'm trying to track all that down. The second issue that this person seems to be concerned about is the lavish expenses of these international trips and these outings, travel expenses, staff salaries, so forth and so on. There's mention about various trips and uh, and international destinations and and who's paying for what, whether or not the the, the members are paying for it out of their own pocket, whether or not the ICMA is paying for these expenses uh, out of the ICMA funds, so forth and so on. And then the third element is, I guess, as a result of this person seeking these public information requests, this person's upset that uh, many of these ICMA members, these executive board members, are apparently throwing up roadblocks when it comes to a FOIA request. This person expresses frustration and aggravation that these individuals are requesting exorbitant sums of money in order to facilitate the request and or they are not filling the request in a timely manner and or they're not filling, they're not fulfilling the request at all because they're deeming the information requested to not be a public document or not be subject to disclosure. I'm not sure what's going on there. But again, I'm going to be working on trying to get this information from this individual. I'm not really sure what's going on here, folks, but I'm pretty sure at a bare minimum that there's fire where the smoke is. Okay. And the fact that we got a disgruntled ICMA spouse, I don't, could you imagine some husband or wife? They're like, are you freaking kidding me? You're paying a thousand dollars a year to this organization so that the president of the ICMA can go uh, fly on international junkets to the Philippines and have uh, Michelin rated meals at the fanciest restaurants and go, uh, I don't know, smoke stogies at the cigar bar or go play at a golf course. Uh, I mean, could you imagine, <laughs> could you imagine that conversation at the dinner table 
<laughs> excuse me, honey. <laughs> Why are we paying money for the ICMA? So, uh, so Jeff Towery can go to the Austin uh, conference and brag about all the fine meals he has. I mean, I don't know. I think there might be fire here when an individual is putting in public information requests for ICMA documents that are being sent on work email accounts. And those are somehow not subject to disclosure, supposedly, or you want thousands of dollars to release that information to the requester. It's like, hmm, what are they hiding? What are they hiding? You know, this person's talking about getting the calendars for the executive board members, trying to cross-check the calendars with the uh, the trips to see if they lined up, to see if the individuals took time off. I got to tell you guys, <laughs> if you got me setting my sights on the ICMA because I'm trying to get uh, trying to avenge the foul treatment of James Freed and this political persecution he's endured because you got some COVID vaccine lovers who think everyone should basically get vaccinated and double boosted go after and ruin someone's career. Well, I'm going to come after you. And it sounds like this other individual, I don't know exactly what they're motivated. I mean, they're telling me these things. I'm not sure what's going on, but if they want to, you know, they want to send me stuff, I'm going to get it out there. They know I'm not afraid to speak the truth. They know I'm not afraid to put it out there. They know I'm not loyal to the ICMA. They know the ICMA can't touch me. I'm not a member. I, I, I don't care. As far as I'm concerned, if you're on the executive board and you've engaged in some shenanigans or you got some questionable emails out there, be careful, okay? Because, well, dirty laundry might get aired. Dirty laundry might get aired. I'm not sure what I'm going to get. I'm waiting to get these documents from this individual um, hopefully they get some documents to me soon. So stay tuned for that. So I'm going to wrap up this podcast episode here. That's going to do it for me today on the show. This is the city manager unfiltered podcast, a podcast for city managers and other public sector executives. If you like the content I'm putting out, please rate and review on Apple. Please uh, rate on the, uh, Spotify uh, platform and any other platform you use. I could really appreciate those Apple, especially those Apple users. And also, don't forget the new Buy Me a Coffee uh, donation link. Buymeacoffee.com slash unfiltered. If you really want to support the show, you're a fan and you want to donate money and help me cover my costs and just say thanks for all the time I'm putting in, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash unfiltered and uh, make a one-time or monthly reoccurring donation. Thank you all again for your support. Catch you next week.